0: I saw some of, you got, some of you got a little too into the photo thing today and thought maybe you needed a little bit of a shoulder rub there, but that's OK. Um, uh, this, uh, this might take me just a minute. I, um, so like during the last song, I came and I stood right there. And um, this really kind of ticks me off, because what I'm supposed to do is just kind of stand there and think about what I'm going to say when I get up here. And I started. Um, Looking at the words of that song and singing "Christ Alone Cornerstone," um, through the storm, He is there. And I thought, that's the story of my life, and that's what I'm talking about tonight. And I thought, I, I didn't want to do this when I started my talk. So, <laughs> oh, but this reminds me. This will be good. This will help me. <clears throat> um, I just I didn't have a chance to talk to Pete before tonight. Pete, are you? Is Pete in here? Where's Pete? He's gone. I'll tell him yeah, I'll, I'll tell him this when he comes back. Anyway. Don't worry about that later. Never mind. Um, Cause tonight we're gonna pick up a little bit where we left off this morning. This morning we talked about just the where brokenness entered the human experience and what that's meant to us individually, what that's often meant corporately. And tonight what I want to do is talk about what do we do then. Um, because all of us have have experienced life and experienced the brokenness in life and the pain. And what do we do when life doesn't go uh, the way you'd hoped or planned? You know, when things aren't going your way, what do you do? Do you complain? Do you say, you know, it's just not fair? Do you find yourself going, it's not fair. It's not fair that I have to deal with this and other people seem like everything's going great. You know, do you throw yourself a, a little pity party? Uh, do you do what we learned this morning that started in the garden we start blaming and blaming other, blaming our circumstances blaming other people blaming God Um, do we envy and it feels like why do I have to do all? look at them they've got everything going everything's fine with it you know why and so there's so many different places that we can go Um, but the question is what do you do when your life doesn't go the way that you'd hoped or planned Um, I told you that Karen and I have been married for uh, 29 years. We got married in our mid-20s. We had everything going for us. We were young. She was good-looking. She still is. We were... We were active. We uh, we you know we really wanted to take advantage of those first few years before we had kids, and so we did a lot of stuff. We traveled. We skied, both water skiing and snow skiing. We uh, backpacked in Colorado. She was an aerobics instructor. I was helping coach wrestling at the high school. We just, I mean, we were just really active. She was riding these like hundred mile bike rides, and um, so we just we just kind of did everything, and everything just seemed to be going for us, and then. We had kind of decided that we were going to, um, she was also working full-time, she was, uh, she's way smarter than I am, she was a, she's a clinical chemist and was working in the hospital lab, I was in full-time youth ministry, um, and so things were just going great. We had decided that we were going to put off having kids for two to three years, just so that we could uh, build into our marriage, but also have some fun and get ready and you know, be good parents when the time came. And so... When that, kind of that waiting period was up, two or three years was up, and we realized we were getting ready to move into the season where we were going to be parents, we began um, doing, what, like we did everything else, we prepared for that. We, uh, we got rid of the cars that we had and bought a used Volvo and a used, and a used minivan. I mean, we were set. We were ready. We even had it picked out. Karen has an April birthday, and she loved growing up and having an April birthday. So we decided we were going to have our first child in April, okay? Okay. <laughs> And so, don't get ahead of me on this one, okay? Some of you are already going, wait. So we planned. We did the, we did the backwards math thing, right? Okay? And so we planned. And then um, the first month after we tried to get pregnant, we found out that we weren't pregnant. And, and you know, we thought, well, that's no big deal, you know, because, I mean, maybe we'll get pregnant the next month and it'll be a late April or maybe an early May, but that's fine. We're fine. We're fine with that. That's okay. We're okay. Uh, it's not a big deal. And... Uh, and so uh, the second month that we tried to get pregnant, we didn't get pregnant. And, and then we were like, well, okay, no, no, there's a, we'll, we'll keep a good attitude here. Glad we started early. Glad we didn't wait until like later in life to start, because this may take a while. And then we, but we thought the third month, this is it. You know, third time's the charm kind of a thing. And, then, um, we, and what we didn't realize is that we were beginning a 12-year process of going through uh, infertility. And all of the pain and agony and disappointment that comes with that and being poked and prodded and uh, each of us having different surgical techniques done and stuff done and procedures. And we found out that there was complications with both of us and it was just, and it was just heart-wrenching for us. And, and, and just this huge disappointment... Because we, did, we never saw that one coming, and we both had this huge longing to be parents. And, um, and it was just really hard, and thinking, you know, why us, God? And what, you know, and, and we're, at a, we're in our late 20s, and all of our friends were having kids, and, and they were laughing because the times they got pregnant, they weren't even trying to get pregnant, and this one, you know, we're naming this one, Oops, and, you know, that kind of stuff. And... You know, and that was, and we were generally thrilled for them, we really were, but yet it was so hard to see that because of the longing in us. There really wasn't a sense of going, you know, it's not fair that they get to have kids, or we weren't, but, but some of you have been there, and you know how agonizing that is. And, um, and then everybody's saying to us, you know, because you don't go around and tell that story to everybody. So, you know, you're at family functions, and you're like, well, so when are you guys going to have kids? And, you know, and... and People ask. People saying really insensitive things, and things that they didn't realize how much that hurt us to the core because we're already dying. And then people would just make these little comments that just would feel like a dagger and salt in the wound kind of a thing. And um, you know, and people saying, "Oh, so you're just you know, kind of like we were dinks. We were double income, no kids, and so we were just kind of prolonging having kids so we could enjoy the fruits of you know a." you know, all of our travel and that kind of stuff. And we're like, no. Um, but I remember it just being really, really hard. I remember it got to the point where, because all of our friends were having kids and Karen would get invited to baby showers, it, at times it just got too painful for her to even go to somebody else's baby shower. It wasn't that she wasn't genuinely happy for them. It, it was just such a deep wound um, that was so hard. I, I remember a few Mother's Days that we skipped church. Because to go to one more place where everybody is just celebrating mothers and new mothers and here's roses and here's flowers and every... And it would just be one more reminder of the longing that Karen had to be a mom that wasn't being realized. And, you know, and then to go and, and worship. And it was just, it was just so hard uh, for, to, to do that. And some of you have been there. And so at that, going through that phase of our lives... There were really two questions that that raised for us. One was this, where was God in all of this? And the second is, what are we supposed to do when things are like that? And it's the same two questions that I posed for us tonight. When things don't go the way that we had planned or hoped or dreamed, first of all, where is God in all of that? And the second is, what are we as believers supposed to do with that? Well, let's start with the what about God question. Where is God? Where is God when things go wrong? Where is God when the, the, somebody gets you know, killed in a car accident by a drunk driver? Where is God in that? You know, when you lose a loved one or you lose your job and you don't know what you're going to do to support your family um, or your husband or your girlfriend walks out on you um, or has an affair or the doctor's report comes back cancer, positive, positive. You know, where where is God in all that? When someone close to you dies? When you go through a painful divorce and you're going, I, I never in a million years dreamed that this would be me. Or you you know, you find yourself suddenly being a single parent and thinking, I in in my wildest dreams, I never dreamed that this is where I would be at this stage in my life. And so, you know, where is all that? You know, you've probably had this thought, or maybe, and I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but this will be one of our small group questions. Um, how many of you have ever f- had the thought or said the actual words, this is like one of the most famous sayings that we have, right? Everything happens for a reason. Is that, is that, anybody, is that a favorite? Every, so when things when, some, when everything just sucks, we say, well, you know, everything happens for a reason, don't we? And it, you know, it's interesting because I, I hear that so much. And that kind of implies that there is some greater reason, some greater purpose behind all the tragedy that just happened, or what's going on. And if you believe in God, then somehow this gets wrapped up in our theology. And so some tragedy happens, and we say, "Well, everything happens for a reason." Subtext means is that so somehow God is behind this. And he's orchestrating this because he's got a greater purpose. There's a reason. And our job is then to just experience life and then wait for us to figure out what that reason is. Okay. But the question is, does everything, is this true? Does everything happen for a reason? Does God orchestrate the drunk driving accident so that he can somehow bring about some greater purpose? Is God behind the cancer? Is there a reason? There's a reason you have cancer. Is there, is there a reason for hurricanes and tornadoes and tragedies and divorce and the Boston Marathon bombing? When we, do we look at the Boston Marathon bombing and go, well, everything happens for a reason? Really? And God somehow behind that to bring about some greater purpose? Because see, that's not, this isn't consistent with the, the Bible's picture of who God is. It's outside of God's nature to be, to be inflicting tragedy to bring about some greater purpose. So does everything happen for a reason? Well, first of all, I would say this. God is not the author of the bad things in your life to bring about some greater good. God is not about... Having bringing tragedy on you because he wants to do something better, and your job is to figure that out. You know, in one sense, everything does, you know, a lot of times everything does happen for a reason. You know, there's a reason why the drunk driver ran the stoplight and killed your friend or your family member because somebody had way too much to drink and got behind the wheel. That's the reason. A fallen, broken human person made a really bad decision. That's the reason. Not some greater cosmic theological purpose behind the tragedies in our life. But what about when something happens that isn't somebody's fault? When we can't pin it on poor behavior by a human? What about cancer? What about a hurricane? I remember when Hurricane Katrina hit the coast and was so devastating. our church was involved in some of the relief for that. And I remember Grayson, my youngest son, uh, in the car one time saying, Dad, why did God make hurricanes? I thought, what a great question. And so we got to talk about, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that God did make hurricanes. It certainly wasn't God's idea to say, "I'm going to bring Hurricane Katrina and just decimate the Gulf Coast," because that seems, it's, what I read in the scriptures, that's outside of God's nature. You know, um, it goes back to what we talked about this morning in the fall. Because the fall, the Bible says that the fall and sin and brokenness entering human experience is not just something that impacts us, the Bible says it impacts all of creation. Romans 8 says this, against its will all creation was subjected to the curse. But with eager hope the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom From death and decay. And this is a verse you've probably heard before. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The Bible says that in the fall, when sin entered the picture, everything about our creation, everything about the world and the people and the plants and animals and the weather in it got messed up. The world that you and I experience is not the world that God created. It's a world that is um, upended by sin and brokenness and darkness. and um, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to say this or not because it's not in my notes. But when I just remembered when we, in the 70s there was a bumper sticker that said, Shit happens. You remember that? That's actually really good theology. Because that says we live in a fallen, broken world where shit happens. And you and I are left holding it. Go, what do we do with this now? Because I believe in a loving, merciful God and graceful God. And um, Jesus even says that. He doesn't use those words. But he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Write write this down. (laughs) Period. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. There is hope. But in this lifetime, in this world, life will not be the way we would hope or dream that it would be. And, frankly, it's not the way that God had intended it. Um, and so because of the fall, we live in a world where bad stuff happens, where life doesn't go the way that we had hoped or planned. And so what's God's perspective on that? He's not behind it. God's not the one causing it. In fact, um, the other reason, if you want to say that everything happens for a reason, Jesus' explanation is three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls Satan, God's enemy, the prince of this world. So that old, did you grow up singing that song when we were, the little kid song when we grow up, this is my, this is my father's world. Cute song, bad theology. Because it's not God's world anymore. Jesus says that the prince of this world is God's enemy. He is is more in control of the day-to-day what happens in this world than God is. But there's hope because God chooses to intervene. Um, And so what's God's perspective when he looks at the creation the way you and I experience it now? He weeps. He's not an angry, vengeful God who sits in heaven and inflicts bad stuff on us to punish us or to teach us a lesson or to grow us up. He's a God who looks at his creation and weeps and says it wasn't supposed to be like this I, I find myself doing a lot of funerals these days and funerals of 23 year old drug overdoses and things like that and, and sit and, and look at parents weeping and, 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 and all I can say is God weeps too God looks at you and says it's not supposed to be like this parents are not supposed to go to their own kids funerals the Bible says that Jesus, as he, it says uh, in Luke 19, 41, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. As he was walking towards Jerusalem, he's up on a hill and he looks down on the seas of the city, knowing what has happened in the city that he loves, knowing what's happened in Jerusalem, what's, where people have gone and what life has become like, he just stopped and he just wept. And I think that's what God does when he looks at your world and he looks at my world. He weeps. The heart of a loving father who says it wasn't supposed to be like this. Um, when he looks at, you know, wh- where is God in 9-11 when the World Trade Centers collapse and thousands of people are, are killed? Where is God when in Sandy Hook Elementary School last year? Or the pain and struggle and heartache in your own life? Or when you go through a painful divorce or you lose somebody near you. You need to realize it's God who weeps the most. When that stuff happens in our life, it's God who is weeping, saying it wasn't supposed to be like that. I am so, so sorry. And, and it's God who says, I'll, I'll be there with you. His desire is to move alongside of us in those moments. If we'll let him and when we're in pain. The question is, will we let him? Moving alongside, so this isn't true. Stop saying it, please. Everything doesn't happen for a reason. But here's the good news: God can work all things together for good. Have you heard that? Which is often basically the verse that gets misinterpreted this way. Romans eight twenty-eight: For we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who live with the Lord. It doesn't say God causes all things to happen. It says, God causes all things to work together for good. So in the midst of the crazy, fallen, broken world that you and I live in, God can bring good from even that. God can take the crap and the pain and the uh, heartache, uh, the disappointment, the broken dreams, the fallen plans, and you're in my life. When When it just seems like God must have abandoned us because how in the world do we find ourselves longing to be parents, feeling like God had wired in us to be parents, and now we're not able to be parents. Where where is God in all of that? Well, I don't believe that he caused it, but I believe he can bring good from it. And, um, you know, I look at, as we went through that process for several years, um, and then, you know, and, and then people talking to us about adoption way before we were ready to hear about adoption, that just felt like throwing in the towel for some reason. And and yet we, you know, God began to stir in our hearts. And to be really honest, God stirred in Karen's heart way before mine. I I, I didn't want to adopt a baby. And, and for really dumb reasons. I wanted a son who was tall. Or who looked like me. That was really the dumb one. I thought, why would why would I why would I want to inflict that on anybody? <clears throat> But slowly God began to stir in my heart too and then um, he gave us a picture of, um, of adoption where we would have relationship with the birth parents and get to know the birth moms and God began to give Karen a really tender heart for birth moms. And, uh, and I was actually a camp speaker at a Young Life camp in upstate New York uh, about 20 years ago and... Um, And that summer, we were in the process. This is, and it's a a long story, but we had um, on Mother's Day of all days, God had given Karen a picture that said, um, "Be ready, you know, that you're going to be a mom and be ready by Christmas." And she told me that, and I, I thought she was crazy, but I said, "Okay, that's great." But we went to camp that summer, I spoke, and while I was in New York, we met a a girl who was uh, 18 years old at the time and pregnant and wanting to place her child for adoption. And we built a relationship with her. Uniquely, we were a thousand miles from home, but she was... From Illinois, which made it an in-state adoption, and she w- she went to she was going to become an incoming freshman at a college that was about 35 miles from where we lived, and so we built this relationship. And she asked Karen to be her Lamaze coach, and it was so cool. and And so 19 years ago, uh, our son Tyler was born, and we were there in the de- we were there in the delivery room, and it was just it was just cool to see in the midst of our pain and brokenness how God redeemed that. <clears throat> and brought good from that. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and, and Grayson recently asked me in the car, we were just this past week. He said, we were, I don't know what we were talking about, but he said, Dad, are, are you really sad that you and mom can't have kids or couldn't have kids? And I said, No, I'm really not sad. I said, It was really, really hard, but I'm not sad now because I have you. I said, I mean, actually the infertility is a good thing. We're, we're thankful for the infertility. And he goes, how are you thankful? For...? I said, because we have you and Tyler and for infertility, we wouldn't necessarily have you. And I said, he said, of course, this is the way he thinks. He goes, well, maybe you would have had us and somebody else. I said, well, maybe, but I don't know. Um, but we've seen how God has, you know, brought good from a really, really hard situation and um, and I forget that they're adopted. I, you know, I couldn't love them more if I gave birth to them myself. And, and so they're my son. You know, w- w- one of the things that's really been helpful for us is, is um, and Karen, God has put Karen in so many situations with other adoptive parents, and we've had conversations with them and other, um, and to do ministry with birth moms and people that are adopting kids and helping them with language. Language like, you know, I tell my boys, I'm your real dad. You have a biological father and me. But I'm your dad and I'm real. I'm your real dad. So you don't have me and then a real dad somewhere. You have a biological father. He played a very important role in your existence and a very courageous thing to let you come into our family as God directed you. But I'm your dad. Um, And so, you know, it's been really cool to see just how God has used that process over the years. One time uh, in our church, uh, an older guy in our church was just kind of kind of a grandfather-like guy was talking to Tyler and Tyler was just a little kid and he looked at me across, he saw the me way over there and the guy The guy was just trying to trying to be funny with Tyler and he goes, you see that guy over there? I know him. He's my friend. Do you know him? And Tyler looks at him and goes, he's my dad. He adopted me. I mean, it was just like in this pride in going, that's just a part of his story. Um, we, were, we were on vacation one time. we go to Arkansas. I told you every year for vacation. When, Ty, when Grayson was six months old, we were on vacation in Arkansas, and so we needed to get a part for the boat or something. So we ran into town. So Tyler and Grayson are now. Tyler is six, and Grayson is six months. And uh, we're in the marina, and um, and I get the part that I need, and I got to sign the credit card thing, whatever it was. And so I'm holding Grayson, and he's got this beautiful curly red hair, and Tyler's over looking at life jackets along the wall or something. And so this this guy, this kind of good old boy at the old man in the marina said well let me hold your son for you while you sign the thing and I said no. so I said sure so I'm signing the thing and he looks at Grayson's red hair and he looks at Tyler and he goes does your mom have red hair sonny and Tyler looks at him and looks back at the life jacket and just goes he didn't come out of my mom's tummy and the guy looks at Grayson just doesn't know what to do he goes hands him back to me like not going there So here's what we've we've learned. Rather than thinking that everything happens for a reason, I've decided to lose this one from my vocabulary. Here's what I say instead. I would encourage you to do that. God can bring good from even this. Even this. Even as horrible a thing as we're living right now, God God can bring good from the. He promises. He can work all things together for good. Even in the midst of really, really, really hard, bad stuff. God can bring good from even that. And whatever the most painful, horrific thing is that you're going through right now or have been through, the truth is, as hard as that is, as much as God weeps over that and says, I didn't intend that for you, that's not how I designed you. I mean, do you realize that when we lose somebody, when somebody dies, we weren't designed for death. Do you realize that? God designed us as eternal beings. When Adam and Eve were first, death was never a part of the human experience until sin entered the picture. So the whole idea of people dying and us having to deal with the reality of somebody that we love, their death, whether it's a parent or a child or a friend or a spouse, we have not even been hardwired to comprehend and to deal with that. God never built that into our system. And so when somebody dies, of course it's hard. And God says, you weren't meant to go through this. And so when we look at, when you look at even the hard stuff that you deal with, and maybe it seems like God is distant or God has abandoned you because you're going through that, know this, God can bring good from even that. Um, And so that's where God is in all this. The second question is, what about us? What should we do when life doesn't go the way we we would hope or dream that it would? The first thing is this. Number one, lean into God. Remind yourself that He's God. He's in ultimate control of the universe and of our lives. He has your best interest at heart. He's not inflicting pain and tragedy because He's mad at you or wants you to learn a lesson or wants to grow you up. He's a loving Father who hates to see His children in pain, wants to be there for you if you'll lean into Him. And He can get us through this and he can bring good from even this. Um, shortly after Tyler was born, so 19 years ago, roughly there, Karen's health, I told you she was, you know, very active, a robots instructor. Her health began to go downhill. And um, maybe even have started before that, we're not sure. But for the last 19 years, her health has gotten progressively worse. And to the point where these last few years, it's been really bad and really hard for us as a family um, and I have her permission to share this because she wouldn't necessarily want me to be talking a lot about it. But, and I don't want to go into a lot of details, um, but, but she uh, has a form of blood cancer and uh, an autoimmune disease. Some of you are familiar with that. And even now, and we've discovered an underlying chronic Lyme disease that probably has been in place for years and years and has just wreaked havoc on her system. And so, um, currently, and for the last few years, um, there's been a lot of times when she's home resting more than she's up and out. There's been, there were years when she was in bed more than she was out of bed. And even, you know, this summer and to this day, she, you know, is, has an extremely low energy level. It's a miracle that she was able to come with us and be here this week. We're very thankful for that. Um, but it's been really hard. It's been really hard for her. Um, certainly hard for our boys. And hard for me. And hard for us. Because you know what? Th- this isn't the picture we had of where we would be right now in our marriage. This isn't, this isn't the picture we had of what our marriage and what our life would be like in a lot of different aspects. And it's really hard. And we could feel sorry for ourselves. That's one option. And I've got to be really honest. I fight that one daily. Or be jealous of other people. I see other people and other couples who are pretty much live in the way I was assuming Karen and I would be living at this point in our marriage, in our lives. It'd be real easy to get jealous of them. And I have to fight that. But as much as we can, we lean into God. And we pray for healing. We've been praying for healing for 19 years. And we will continue to do that. We live with the hope that God's going to heal her. That He can and that he will, and that's our desire, and we pray for that daily. And then in the meantime, we trust God to get us through it one day at a time, and to teach us. God, show us what you want us to, show, show us how you want to use this in our lives, and even in the lives of others. And I've been amazed at the number of people that Karen has been able to minister to and to talk to who have also gone through other significant health stuff. And so we go, I don't, I don't believe God inflicted this on us. But I believe he's right there. And, um, and I'm so proud of Karen and so impressed. If you ask Karen, she would say that in the midst of this being so hard, she would say that God is her comfort and strength and help and hope. And she says that often. And that God is the one who has given her strength and walking her through Uh, One day at a time, sometimes an hour at a time, just to get through uh, the day. And the choice she has and that we have is to either question God and ask why and wonder why we're living with this, for her to wonder why God hasn't healed her because he's certainly still in the miracle business. He still certainly heals people and wants her to be whole. God didn't create her to be sick and to be in ill health. He wants her to be well. So why hasn't God healed her yet? I don't know. So the, que- the choice that we have is either to plague ourselves with the why question and feel like God's abandoned us, or we can do the opposite and lean into him to get us through this and to take our eyes off of our own circumstances and to focus on him. Um... And one of the things that's been, you know, really interesting with Karen is, you know, of course, I tell you this now that we've got the next three days. Karen has said to me, I don't, I don't want everybody coming up to me always asking me how I'm feeling. Because I don't want my life to be defined by the illness. She doesn't like to go everywhere and have people just go, so how are you feeling? How are you feeling? Are you? At the same time, it's the reality of her life. And if people just ignore that and just like, well, just like, act like nothing's the matter, That's not helpful either. And so you get caught in this. How do you live in the midst of really, really difficult stuff? And how do you have relationships? And how do you let people know, here's what I need, and how do we do all that? The second thing, so the first thing that we need to do in times like that is lean into God. The second is to lean into others. God's created us to do life in the context of community. And so our friends and... Our, you know, our growth groups, our small groups from church, people who have been there for us and understood and given us grace and pray for us and our families who are amazingly gracious to us in the midst of it and accommodating. And you know if you can make it great, if you can't that day, we understand. I mean, just the people that have moved in around us has been just this huge support. You know, Tell us what we can do with the boys if you need help. All that kind of stuff. For a while... We since now have discovered that there's a a whole bunch of foods that um, that Karen and Grayson are uh, very, very sensitive to, allergic to. So we have we have now have kind of narrowed it to this very restricted food diet, and a lot some of you know what that's like if you have celiac or other things like that, and you know how sometimes how frustrating that is to feel like everybody else gets to eat whatever they want, and I you know, here I am with my bird seed and that's it. Um, um, but before we actually were aware of that, there were a couple of people in our church, a couple of women in our church, who were, um, had taken it on themselves to bring us a meal every week. So two nights a week, we got meals from these people, and it was great. And then one time at church, I had told this, kind of told this story, and I had a guy that I knew um, from the marriage ministry there, and he walked up to me afterwards and went, what am I thinking? I own a restaurant. I got all kinds of food. I don't have time to cook for you, because... I've got a restaurant. But he gave us like this he gave us a gift card to his restaurant and it's like with an unlimited amount on it. And he said you just come in whenever you want and just get food and get carry So for like a couple of years we were getting carry out a couple of times a week. I mean, it was and I, you know, I had it's not an issue anymore, but I had decided that when God healed Karen, those were going to be the last three people I told but that was going to be another (Laughter) <clears throat> Because them was some good eatings, let me tell you. Um, and God's put us in touch with just some amazing doctors. Um, and just the comfort for those of you that have medical issues and have had medical challenges before. You, you, and other people that haven't, you have no idea how important and what, how, what it means to sit with a doctor who gets it and who gets you and says, I understand and here's what we can do. And no, there's not a pill you can take to feel better. When everybody else thinks, well, you just take, there's something you got to take, right? There's something you take and you feel better. Or something you take and you get better. And to have doctors that say, no, it doesn't work that way. And this is chronic. You, you may live with this the rest of your life. But, but we're going to work with you. And how God has put just some amazing people in our lives through that. So the first thing we do is lean into God. The second thing is lean into others. And then the third one, this is sometimes the hardest, is to give thanks. Because the Bible says, in all things, give thanks. 1 Thessalonians says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't say give thanks for all things. And I think that's where we get confused. This is not... Oh, God, thank you that I'm by the side of the road fixing a flat tire, and it's raining. Thank you for the rain, God, because we needed rain, and thank you that I'm fixing a flat tire, and thank you that I've got such nice clothes that I can fix a tire in, and some people don't have clothes. and (laughs) Thank you that I'm now going to be late for the wedding that I was supposed to officiate at, and oh God, I'm giving thanks in all things. That's not what it means. Okay, It doesn't say give thanks for all things. And not give thanks when things change. God, when I get a job, I will be so thankful. God, when you heal this relationship, I will be so thankful. But it says, be thankful in all things, in the midst of all things, in the the midst of the crud that life throws your way, be thankful. And what it, So what does it mean to give thanks in all things? Well, I think first it means, it means a couple things. I think first it means look for things that, you're, that you can be thankful for. Because there are moments within even the worst of our circumstances where maybe there's little things that you can be thankful for, okay? I am so thankful that we have two boys who are doing amazingly well in the midst of having a, we're dad and a mom who really doesn't feel well most of the time, and can't be the kind of mom to them that she wishes she could, and do the kinds of things that she would love to do for them as a mom. And you know, I've had so many of you come up to me and, and give me great compliments about Tyler and Grayson, and, and, and I, that's just—I'm just thankful for that. I'm thankful that it could have gone a whole different direction with those guys, but they're doing amazingly well in the midst of the circumstances. Um, several years ago. We were um, we have one of those small two-car garages where uh, if you move all the bikes out, like put the bikes on the roof, there's barely room for two cars to fit in it, right? One of those deals. So for the most part, the summer meant that there was one car in the garage and bikes, and then in the winter we would figure it all out and get, and get my car in for the winter too. And, um, and, and this kind of goes back to our talk this morning, but we won't go there. But Karen was a little frustrated with me that I wasn't getting the... Um, garage ready in time to get my car in. And she kept saying, when are we going to get your car in? When are we going to get your car in? the garage?" And I'm, okay, this weekend. I'll get it. I'll get it. And, um, and one night, we were literally probably a day or two away from having gotten the car into the garage for the winter, both cars. And you'll see why that's significant in a second. Middle of the night, 1.30 in the morning, something like that, I hear this pounding on my door front door and we think somebody's trying to break in and we don't know. I go running down to the front door and here's my next door neighbor with his eyes about this big around. He says, get out of your house. Your house is on fire. I don't know if you've ever heard those words before. That gets your attention really fast. And I look out at the corner of my eye and my car had started on fire. It had spontaneously combusted. I I find out later there was a recall on that. That would have been helpful. Like a month later I get a letter from Ford Motor Company saying there's a recall on your car because sometimes they can spontaneously start on fire. Like that would have been a helpful letter a couple of months ago. But, but anyway, so my car starts on fire. And here's what's really interesting. My car starts on fire. The, the woman next door, who's about our age, she had gotten up in the middle of the night, didn't hear anything. It was cold, so their windows were shut. You know, didn't smell anything. She got up. Sensing something was wrong. And she got up and walked over to the window and saw my car on fire. It hadn't even, my car was parked about two feet from the garage. Hadn't even, hadn't even done anything else to the house. Just the car was on fire. And she said, Steve, call 911. Or no, Steve, go get the Smiths out of their house. I'm calling 911. Their house, their car's on fire. And while she was talking to the fire department, 911, the fire spread from my car to the garage. That quickly. And then the flames were about 30 feet in the air. And, um, and then Steve came over and got us out of the house. The fire went through the door of our garage, started Karen's car on fire, started the entire garage on fire, then it, but it went up the outside of the garage and into the vents in the attic above the garage where we had all kinds of stuff stored. And then this was not code at the time that our house was built. There was no firewall between our garage attic and the main attic of the house. And so it was spreading towards the main part of the house. And um, and my boys were sharing a bedroom at the time right on the other side of that attic. And had she not gotten up that night, and Karen and I were sleeping in a different part of the house, it probably would have at least killed our boys and probably destroyed the whole house and maybe killed us all. But she got up, and, um, and they got us out of the house. And the fire department came and put it out, and, um, and we, I mean, We had just finished, we were in the process of remodeling our, making a master bedroom and we were, we had just finished a major remodel of our kitchen. I mean major. And walls out, down to the bare studs, new floor, new hardwood floor, new cabinets, all that kind of stuff. And we had just finished that, you know, Karen's dream kitchen, it was so exciting. And the door, the fire made it all the way to the door that separated the kitchen from the garage and it singed the outside of the door and stop there, and, and, um, and I was just so impressed with Karen, Karen was never bitter, it was a pain in the butt, um, but, but just even in those moments to go, okay there's so much that we can be thankful for, you know, that Susan woke up, that our boys were fine, lost a bunch of stuff in our attic, but frankly it needed to be cleaned out anyway. <laughs> Um, not, you know, not how come our house burned and other people's didn't, but, um, you know, our boys even had a great attitude, that next morning, Grayson was in first grade at the time, and Tyler was in seventh grade, they're six years apart, it really bothered, so those neighbors took the boys over and put them to bed, um, and then I got up, Karen and I stayed up pretty much all night, and then I went over and got them, took them some clothes, and then took them to school, we were actually able to stay in our house, which was amazing, and then we had the, those huge fans in the house that you can't even hear each other talk for like three weeks. Um, but I took the boys to school. Tyler really bothered. Grayson got to school and uh, went up to his first grade teacher and said, we had a fire at our house last night. And she's thinking, okay, like they would fire in the fireplace or something. And then she said, I got close and realized he smelled like smoke. And she said, you like had a real fire? He goes, yeah. So, of course, every first grade teacher, you know, this is an object lesson, right? So, and something to do with the kids. So she had Grayson stand up there, and every kid got to come up and smell Grayson. (laughs) So he stood in the front of the room and went, smell me! (laughs) It's kind of a badge of honor. So, but people surrounded, we had had a a friend who was leaving um, the next day, for a week's vacation and she literally drove her Lexus SUV into our driveway that next morning, handed Karen the keys and said, I'm not even going to ask if you need it, we're going to be gone a week, it's yours. And then when she got back, another f- couple of friends of ours that, you know, great godly people who are, have done really well in life and have summer cars that in addition to the regular cars. <coughs> <coughs> They brought us their summer cars because they didn't need them, um, and so for several months, Karen was driving a teal Porsche Targa, and I was driving a powder blue Lexus Coupe. It was it was really cool. <laughs> <clears throat> and you know, I mean, we would we would even joke about this—the little stuff that we were. Thank- I mean, we're so thankful for people like that. We're thankful because um, we really needed a new garage door. Ours was just in bad shape. <laughs> And we couldn't afford a new garage door. And we got a new garage door out of this thing. It was really cool. Um, did you build a bigger garage? We did, no, we did not build a bigger garage. Fortunately, we were able to just kind of stay. I mean, the fire was really contained to the garage. And um, we had some smoke and water damage. But we were, I mean, it could have been so much worse. But so part of being thankful is being thankful. What, what can you be thankful for in the midst of this stuff? Um, So look for things to be thankful for. The other thing is, just choose to have a thankful heart in the midst of the pain and circumstances that life throws throws you away. I think when God calls us to be thankful in all things, it means that we just have a heart of gratefulness, a heart of thankfulness, not based on our circumstances, but just based on the goodness of God and His provision in our life. And the fact that we woke up this morning and we have breath, and we have life, and um, and life is good and so base our thankfulness not on our circumstances but on God's goodness and um, even when even when it seems like we have nothing to be thankful for um, we, tell you the other adoption story when, when Tyler was uh, six years old um, we got a call from some friends of ours in Little Rock who were doing uh, youth ministry down there and they had a girl at their church that they were working with who was uh, pregnant and looking to adopt her child out and, um, and wanted to know if we were interested. And we said, yes, we'd love to. So we, we uh, met, flew down and met her, um, got to know her and her family. And um, she chose us to be the parents of uh, her child. And so we went through kind of different but some similarities. Um, and so that summer, uh, she was due... Um, and we were getting ready to go, uh, go down there. Arkansas is one of those states with, uh, where we had to stay in the state of Arkansas for like 10 days um, before the papers could be legally signed and leave um, and take the baby across state lines. But our friends, um, their parents, who, he's the senior pastor at that church, they were friends of ours as well. They invited us to come just live at their house. And so when it came time for the baby, uh, Tyler and Karen and I packed up our car and we drove to Little Rock uh, the baby was born. everything was good. it was healthy. Um, they were letting Karen they actually gave Karen a room in the hospital to feed the baby and they were letting Karen feed the baby and then um, and then when they released uh, the birth mom and the baby, the baby came with us to the house and so we had a we had, it was just a gift to have this the first week with not in our not even our own house but just kind of away it's kind of like being away here where you know you don't have any of your other responsibilities or stuff you could just be and so for a whole week we could just be a family and Tyler was so excited to be a brother and but we had to stay there for a while um, because of the adoption thing well we realized that the baby had come early Tyler was in oh he was in preschool at the time and and it, those of you who know Tyler's a little outgoing he had been chosen to be the ringmaster of the uh, preschool circus at the end of the year, and, uh, and, but we were going to be in Arkansas during the final preschool circus at the school, and they were left without a ringmaster, which I felt bad about, but you know what are you going to do? <laughs> but at one point during the week, everything was going so well, and we were visiting the birth mom, and she was coming over, and we, were, we had a good relationship with her, and everything was going so well, I said to Karen, Why don't I, what if I took Tyler and drove back to Illinois. It's like a 10-hour drive. What if I drove back to... I guess it's more than that, but What if I drove back with with Tyler? We did the preschool circus thing, and then Tyler and I will come back down, and then all four of us will drive back home together. And she said, I think that's a great idea. So Tyler and I did that. So Tyler and I drove from Little Rock to Rockford um, and uh, drove all the way up. We had been home, I think... Uh, we were only going to be home for like th- three days, two days, two and a half days. We had been home a day, and that night I got a, I got a voicemail from Karen, um, frantic, that said everything had gone south, and the birth mom had changed her mind, which she had the right to do in Arkansas in that first 10 days, and she was going to take the baby back. And... Um, it was the hardest thing we've ever gone through. Because we had that baby in our family, and, um, and he was ours. And Tyler had a little brother. And I don't know what it's like to lose a child. I, I, I can't sit here and say, I know what it's like to have a child die, I don't know. But I know that that's what it felt like to us, to have a one week old baby die. And I felt so helpless. Because I so wanted to be there for Karen. I'm stuck in Rockford and she's in Little Rock. And I had to endure the preschool circus the next morning. But I didn't want to tell Tyler yet. And the next morning to tell you, talk to Karen, and to hear the story of, of this wonderful birth mother coming to get the child, coming to get our son, and Karen, who was a mom, having to hand her child back, just and, and, and wailing and weeping. And I wasn't there for her for that. And that just it still bothers me. And yet to know that she was in that much pain. And uh, and to go through that. And it's like, oh, if if ever you go, God, why? Why did you why did you bring us this far to only have this happen? And um and I remember Karen saying that her prayer through that whole do indu- that whole deal episode had been, God, help me be the woman that you want me to be through this. I don't know that I would have had the strength to pray that prayer. But Karen said, God, I I don't know how to get through this, but help me be the kind of woman you want me to be through this. And Julie, this, this amazing woman who we were staying with, who is, you know, just, if you look, women in ministry, she's like right up there with the saints. She said to Karen, and she told me this later, she said, Karen taught me how to be sad without being bitter. Because I saw Karen just be openly sad, but never bitter. And I remember that night after the preschool circus, calling Tyler in, and he was six, five at the time, I think, and having him sit on my lap and saying I have, I have some really hard news and I said I know that you were really looking forward to being a big brother and you're a really good brother and I've watched you and I wanted you to be a big brother but here's what's happened Molly's decided that she's supposed to be his mom and, and, and Tyler's like no no somebody's got to talk her out of it and and then it was like why dad why would God allow this and here's what I said my great seminary theology I don't know I don't know bud I don't know but I know this I know that God will get us through this and we're And he gave Molly the choice. That's the way it is. And we're going to honor her choice. And we're going to pray for her to be a great mom. And somehow God will get us through this, as hard as it is. That was like 14 years ago. And it's still, it's it's the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And what does it mean in the midst of that to have a thankful heart? Say, I'm just going to... And you know what? At that point, there's nothing. there was nothing in that story that I could point to and go, I'm thankful for that and that and that and that. It was simply a choice. Tyler, that's what I said to him. We're going we're to have a thankful heart. What do we have to be thankful for, Dad? I don't know. But we're, we're going to choose thankfulness. And, I, and friends, I think that's the... I think that's the key. I think that's what the Bible is saying. In all things, give thanks. Even when there seems like there's nothing in your life to be thankful for, choose a thankful heart. Remember, God is not the author of the bad things that happen in your life. In fact, the Bible says he's able to bring good even from the worst of our circumstances. So when life doesn't go the way you'd hoped, Or go the way you'd planned. Or go the way you'd wished. Lean into God. Trust Him. He'll get you through it. Lean into others. Let God's people surround you and carry you when you don't have the strength to carry yourself. And in all things, give thanks. Even when there seems to be nothing to be thankful for, choose to have a thankful heart. Let me close with... The words from Psalm 46. And then, uh, Pete, I'll let you send us to small groups. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That's what we just talked about. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress.